Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Believe in the fight game. Hello, everyone. This is Charles Yao with Believe in the Fight Game on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team and every sport in LA and more. We believe in sports. Do you believe? So as someone that teaches people, how critical is it? Maybe in your frame of mind first, I'll ask from your perspective, how critical is it for your student to compete, to earn like a a, a matriculation to the next color belt? Or is that kind of like old school thinking? For competition? Sure. Um, Well, I mean, it depends. Like, so when I went to, uh, part of the reason that I was purple for, so long as I switched gyms, I went from Sean Williams to uh, Cabrinha's. And um, so when you switch gyms, it's, they have to like feel you out or whatever. Sure. Uh, and that can take a while. And I think I was like a few years into my purple at that point, And I switched over. Uh, yeah, it was for like two years into my purple. And I switched over to Cabrinha's. And so he's feeling me out, but they knew that I wanted to compete. So they like, it's a competition school. Um, so he won't like promote you if he, if you still have stuff that you need to do at that belt level, which I did. Cause I was, you know, uh, kind of life got in the way I somewhere in there opened my own gym and, um, like <laughs> just did a million different things and was also injured too. So, uh, it, it was rough. Um, so I was never able to like, quite do what I wanted in competition. And, you know, he was, I think it was more like a politeness type of thing. Like, a, okay, well, you know, time's a waste and let's get on this, but it just never happened. And he finally just promoted me. And then after that, like, I, you know, I lived out of the country for a year and just had other things going on. So I haven't been back to the headquarters in a probably about two years or so. Without trying to go too much Joe Rogan on you, which country did you end up moving to? Uh, I lived in Japan for like most of 2018. Okay. So. And then you moved there because? Um, so I went to, um, I went to Japan for, to commentate for flow grappling. I commentated the, um, the, oh, what is that? It is the Abu Dhabi Grand Slam Tokyo. Is that the one it is? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and uh, went there, commentated. Um, loved it. Ended up uh, later on meeting a girl and decided to try to stay there and work it out and ended up there for a whole year. Well, was it a hard adjustment to Japan or did you embrace the differentness? Well, it's really tough to like, I didn't know anything about Japan when I went there, like zero. Like I, I, it was bad. Um, and a lot of people there do not speak English. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. So, and I did not speak any Japanese. So very difficult that the first year or the first six months really were rough. Like sometimes you get avoidant, like you don't even want to go out to, you know, local convenience store because you don't even know what to say to the clerk or whatever. Right. So you end up like, staying at home or, you know, just not eating or waiting for other friends that can speak Japanese to help you out. So it's, uh, I've never really been through anything like that. It was interesting. The NBA, MLB, 
and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. I wish I had Bet Online when Robert Ory made that three, because I really thought the Lakers were going to lose that game against the Sacramento Queens, per what Shaq quotes them as. But no, I didn't have it at that time. But yes, this time I'm going to be betting on the Lakers. I think they got a great chance taking the title during this COVID period. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well, so it never closes. What you have to do is head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Yeah, good luck saying uh, acai bowl in Japanese, right? Mm, yeah I I don't know how that one would go over did did you find a lot of um was it more parallel as far as for BJJ training in Japan or was it really different culturally because like uh like you know Robert Drysdale he's putting out the closed guard um Mm. documentary and he found a lot of major differences in discipline and practice. Did, did you find a lot of difference as far as for the practitioners? And what, what was your reaction to it? Um, yeah, it was super weird. I mean, like, jujitsu comes from Japan. And, you know, it's like in the form of it was jujitsu, but it was also judo, too. Like, old school judo is the same thing. Like, it had all of the ground and the stand up and everything. It's Jiu-Jitsu is old judo, basically. And um, so, like, they brought that to the Gracies. The Gracies messed it up and did their own version of it and then made that good. And then they brought that to America. And meanwhile, like, that stuff, like, Olympic judo is still very popular in Japan. But jiu-jitsu, like, kind of fizzled out. So, like, the level was not very high in Japan. It's getting better now. Um, but there's like only like a handful of gyms that are actually competitive on like a world level. And especially within like the last five years or so. Um, but before that is like, not, you know, not, I was surprised. I thought it would be better because that was like the motherland, but like I was for sure. Like if I went to any random gym, like I was going to be either the best or one of the best guys there, like every time. So it, it was interesting. Um, there's a couple of competition gyms there that do have really good guys, uh, but they're, it's very few. So a year hits and you decide to move back to LA. What made you decide to move back just, just to be home? Uh, it was a lot of factors. Um, it, it, it was, it was rough. Like I, I barely got out of there like by the skin of my teeth at the time. So um, it, it's been a little bit of a rocky road the last five years or so for, for me. Um, and that was just like, there was so many things going on at that time. Like, I don't know. I've, I was in danger of overstaying my visa while I was there too. Um, and I really want to get like banned from the country. So uh you know, like I had to try to find a way home. And uh, for a little while I was commentating in Korea. And so I would just bounce over to Korea, commentate, come back and reset my visa. Cause I was just on a tourist visa. Like I had zero plans. I went over there with like my backpack and it's like, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> I'm just going to stay. Um, 
so it, it, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting thing. Um, but that only lasted so long. And then they start to catch on to you resetting your visa over and over again, because you're not really supposed to do that. And uh, then, uh, then it's time to, to like either figure something out there or get out of Dodge. So I ended up leaving, went to Thailand for like a month and then decided to come back to America and see what was going on here. <laughs> but it was, yeah, I mean, it was so crazy. Like if you've never been to Japan, I don't know if you've been, uh, but it's on short stint, nothing okay. crazy, but it's like a different world there. Like it, everything that as Americans or probably any where else in the world people think is like normal, like that is not the case in Japan. Like they just go by their own rules. It's got um, a lot of, a lot of positives to it. Like it's an amazing country. Um, definitely some negatives too, but uh, it, it is a, a place like I've never been to before. It's, it's pretty amazing. I highly recommend you spend time there if, if you get the chance. Just Pretty to cheap to go out. there too. For be like in from a California. different planet almost, right? It is. It's crazy. Like um like people will are so polite and so reserved that you know the like if you go into a combini like convenience store, like seven elevens are everywhere, but they're not like the seven elevens here. They're amazing. They have really good fresh fruit uh, food over there. Um and everything's cheap and it, just tasty and um, nutritious. Like it's super good. Uh, but so if you go to a Kambini and like, maybe you're an American or from a different country and you don't speak the language and you're trying to talk to the clerk, like they will sit there and painstakingly, even though they want to like, I think if you spend more time with Japanese people, uh, you can tell like they probably want to gouge their eyes out. Um, they just hate every second of, of what you are torturing them with, but they will sit there and they will like try to figure out whatever it is to help you and get you on your way to the detriment of everyone else. Like they will like all the other customers in there will patiently wait, even if they're like going to be late to work or whatever. It's, it's like such a bizarre place. They're so polite. It's unreal. But but did you ever experience or witness like passive aggressiveness because they're so polite? Or probably not. They're probably so tiger monk disciplined, though that's a Chinese reference. <laughs> but um I don't they're like they might even be I'm sure there's there is passive aggressiveness there, but they might even be like beyond that in a way where it's like they don't even they there's like a word for it. I don't even remember what it is, but like where they don't even tell their friends how they really feel about things. And there's, there's like a name for that. And when you do tell somebody how you really feel about uh, the way things are, which is not really a, something that's commonly done there. Um, there's also a name for that too, because it's such a thing. So stuff that we just take for granted, but yeah, I think, I, I think that's so nuts. That's why they have like tentacle octopus porn. And hentai. It's so <laughs> reserved. And, and, yeah, and they're, they're so repressed. Yeah, everything is, it's just bizarre world there. So that is going to create some type of collateral damage on the back end. And to your point, like, that's why you get so many, like, weird and crazy things coming out of Japan. Because it's just like a, well, of course, they came out of there. Because look at, <laughs> look at all the other stuff that may be fantastic, but it's just so unusual. So. Right, it's so white linen and disciplined and vanilla, and then it's like, now, here you go, tentacle porn. Yeah, oh yeah. It's, I mean, they make great horror films, great, like, really, like, 
just truly disturbing uh, art. Um, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> so if you like that type of thing, if you don't, you know, but it's so unusual to, if you're not expecting that, to see like how orderly and polite everyone is and clean, like it's the cleanest place I've ever been to in, in my life. And, um, and then see what else they're producing there, like on the kind of like uh, down low um, side of things. Really, it's, it's really pretty interesting. But are you glad you're back in LA now? Um, not right now. No, absolutely well, right, not. If, right. Pandemic wise. Right. If, if the tra- if the travel ban, uh, hadn't have happened, like I would be back in Japan in a heartbeat. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like the vibe was like, Hey, that was a good experience, but that was that book and chapter back then. But you're still willing to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it there. Um, and I, uh, I think it's better to not go, like the way I went where I'm just like, Hey, I'm here, <laughs> you know, like Backpack. probably not the best idea if you just have zero plans. Um, and I got myself in a little bit of trouble, uh, over there. So that was, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting experience, but now like if I went back, like I'd have like a project to work on. I also have friends there. I trained there for so long. Like, um, you know, one of my friends, Yuki, he owns Carpe Diem, which is like, probably the best competition gym in all of Japan and uh, have a lot of really good friends that are training partners there. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's like a community and I feel comfortable now. So, but initially going it was, it was rough. And that's not Yuki Nakai, is it? No, not Although I did go to his gym. He's at uh, pa, pa Reistra, uh with, um, What's what's her name? Rikako, who was the like four time black belt world champion at the lightest weight. She um, she is under him um, or under Pro Reistra, and uh, his headquarters were like all of us at Flow went over there to um, do a little filming and a little training, and I got to meet him. And super nice guy, um, but not like a not like a everyone's polite nice. Like he's like you feel like this weird genuine from him it was really cool ah dope man well you know i was also curious about like your your um exposure to jujitsu because you know with sean williams he's he's probably the best feet to floor guy if that's fair for me or one of the better oh my god guys. oh my god I, my takedowns i hate to say it like i love cabrinha i love training there i learned so much my sport jujitsu my gi sport jujitsu like really went through the roof when I was there. Um, and he taught me like, you know, you just go to a different, uh, hardworking environment. You're going to pick up on their traits and hopefully not their bad habits too, but, um, you're going to get a lot of their positives. And one of the bad habits I got is just cause they never trained feet to floor. Like I lost the like four years of judo and wrestling that we did pretty much every day at Sean Williams. And, uh, man, that was, that's rough. Like now I'm trying to build it back right now. And it is, it, I used to be so much better. Like Sean really, um, had us working pretty good with the stand up. He's a great teacher, uh, in general. So, um, uh, it was, it, it was a bummer to lose the stand up like that. And now to try to get it back is, uh, it's tough. So how was their ground training at Sean's? Mm-hmm. Sean's ground training was great. Like I, I probably learned if I had to pick one place, one person that I learned the most jujitsu from, it would be Sean Williams because uh, I was there. There was like a crazy 
split that happened um, back in the day with Hollywood jujitsu, where there was two Sean's, Sean Flannery, Sean Williams. They had a falling out. They both kind of like owned the gym or Sean Williams was like the big jujitsu draw. Flannery owned the gym and they had a falling out for whatever reason. Uh, I followed Sean Williams because he was my instructor. I was friends with Sean Flannery, but you know, like at the end of the day, it's like I'm there for jujitsu. Yeah. And he was my head coach. So I'm going to follow him. Um, and that, when I did that, um, cause about half of the people stayed at, at Hollywood jujitsu and, um, the other half followed Sean Williams and he started five star. Uh, and that was like, I think I like fast tracked me because he needed people to teach for him. Cause he, you can't teach every, every single class, especially you're doing construction work on the gym. You're doing other stuff. You're trying to promote everything and, you know, train yourself. Uh, it, it's just too much. So like, he, uh, there was myself and this other, other guy, Dane, very good. Uh, and we really like got taken under his wing and he showed us so much stuff and would sit there and spend countless hours, like answering questions. And like, that's where I really like learned jujitsu as a whole. And I still have like a, a pretty like solid foundation to my Nogi game that I still use like to this day is probably 80% from Sean. So uh, learned a ton from him. So like, you know, uh, Master Jean-Jacques has the over-under game. Sean Williams has the feet to floor and the kind of like strategic, well-depth explan- explanatory method of jiu-jitsu. That's from what I've researched. I've never trained with him, but that's just from my research and from what people say. Yeah. The the math behind Cobrina, did you have a hard adjustment or what was your adjustment like? Because that's a completely different element of jiu-jitsu, right? Because there's the alliance and then there's the, the competition version of Rubens Charles. Yeah. So, like, I was really interested in competing. Like, I'm, I'm a big, like, competition. Like, I, I love the technique and the cutting edge stuff for jiu-jitsu. And Sean's great for that, really, because he's uh, – he's like an encyclopedia, like you're saying, like, he's really like, he knows a ton about jujitsu, like gi, no gi, uh, takedowns. Like he's just all over the place and it's fantastic. And he really like dissects it. And he talks to other people that do a lot too. Um, so like, uh, you know, like when I went to Cabrinha's, like I felt hundred percent fine in especially no gi, or if there's ever stand up, like, yeah, I felt amazing. Like I was so good. But then as soon as we like put on the gi and started going, like everyone's just doing the sportiest stuff because a lot of the competition guys all left their gyms in SoCal or even further uh, and came either to like Homulos or Cabrinha's because they like had their own place about the same time. Sure. But a lot of people came to Cabrinha's and uh, it was just the meat grinder. Um, it, like any random blue belt that was there for like the noon class, like the competition class, Oh my God. They were just, uh, they were like a world beater. They're probably like a Pan Am champ themselves. And there was just no light rolls. You roll 10 minute rounds. You roll six of them after like a, a 60 minute class, which might not be technique. It might be just like movement drills for 60 minutes straight, like line drills, like hip escapes and stuff like that for like an hour. Then you do an hour straight with like zero breaks, maybe like 15 seconds between rounds of just training and then sometimes he would have us do conditioning afterwards or we'd do competition rounds afterwards. So it's like a three hour thing of super high intensity, rough. So the real sporty gi stuff, like he's just so on the cutting edge or he, he was at least like I, I haven't uh, 
you know, trained back there in a couple of years, but he used to be like on the bleeding edge of all of that stuff. Um, and I would maybe be more focused for like Nogi or MMA because uh, Sean's so good with that stuff. And like, I was still uh, new enough. Like I was like a midway through my purple belt that I thought of it more in those terms. Like I hadn't like delved into specifics for like real sporty situational things. Cause you just don't have the time you want to like fill out all your broad, um, like all of your fundamentals and everything first and get your base so that if you need to defend yourself, like you have that, right. Cause that's probably the most important thing of all. Um, and get all those bases covered. And so that's where I was really coming from and looking to go to the next step. And then you go to Cabrinas and like at the time, like they, they didn't care about self-defense. They didn't care about stand up. It was just like, go hard and go as fast as possible. Like, you know, just grind it out and like play the like wackiest, most crazy sporty game possible because the, like there's just a good chance if you're good at that, like maybe some guy at a tournament has no idea what you're doing, just like I didn't. Like I, I kind of like knew the basics of it, but like then you just get Baron Bullard out of nowhere and like all, you know, like it, just the, your worst nightmare of like sport jujitsu, like everyone playing it against you, like so much better than you. Like, oh my God, it was terrible. Like I just got creamed for about four months, hardcore, like could not even compete in the gi. It was terrible. Um, and then you start to pick it up, like, especially like there's certain things that like, I just hadn't filled in yet, um, that maybe even Sean teaches, but I was myself still newer. So I hadn't gotten to the point with him to where I learned those things, but they were super apparent when you go to Cabrinha's. So, um, so for me going over there, like the sportiness of everything was just shocking and the, and the pace, like nobody stops. Like they just go super hard. Everyone was like. 19 to 23 and it was just ridiculous. So, and I was much older, so, um, but it was good. Like it was great training, learn a lot about yourself and got, I got so much better there. And, and, and does it get to a point where not not like jujitsu hip hipsterism or anything, but you know, it was like cool to bash the Baron Bolo, like maybe 2005 to 2012, oh. right? No, I mean, the Parambola wasn't even like a thing then, right? Like, like, um, like the Baron, the first time I ever saw Barambola, I remember because I was, I was with Sean and I was coaching my friend Eddie and Eddie was uh, doing the, I think it was the Pan Ams. And um, he was also in the same division as my other training partner that had, he didn't have a gym, um, and that's Edwin Najmi. So him and Hamulo didn't have a gym at the time because they were going through that fallout with Gracie Baja and Sino. Right. And so they came and trained with us at Five Star. And so I trained with them all the time, and, they, and Felipe Pena. And, uh, man, Edwin was like <laughs> – he was – he went from being, like, not so great at jiu-jitsu. Like, before he was doing the Pan Ams, like, he was, like, okay to being just this ridiculous black like he's so good now it's crazy but to see that progression like i used to train with him and you'd have to go easy on him when he was like a blue belt um and now i'm sure you just kick my butt (laughs) it's so good but uh so like him and my friend eddie were both in the same division 
And there was this kid out there that was like appearing on people's backs out of nowhere. And it's like, who is this, like this meow kid? Like what, what's going on there? And, uh, and his brother was um, in the purple belt division already. So like he just had a free reign in this blue belt division. I was coaching my friend in the semifinals and like he did a barren bolo and I was like, ah, like I was coaching him and I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't even know what happened. Like I had to like think about it and I'm like, man, am I just a bad coach? Like what, you know, like it's the first time I'd ever seen it. Nobody else around me seemed to know what was going on. Like no senior belts, no people from other teams. Like it was pretty new. Um, and uh, sure enough, he like took my friends back, uh, beat him and then went to the, the finals against Edwin Najmi and beat him in the finals too. And then he went to the open weight and like, I, he won that whole open weight too, but I saw him like either in the semifinals or finals and he barren bullied some like 300 and something pound guy. And it was just like this little tiny uh, Japanese looking um, Brazilian kid just on the back of this humongous blue belt. It's just like, who are these kids? It's crazy. Um, but everyone there was just like, what, what is, what is happening? Like, what, we need to learn this. And then it blew up. Like people were posting on YouTube, like trying to dissect it. And then within like a year, somebody posted like a real breakdown of it. And then everyone started to slowly learn it from there. But it was, uh, it was not like something that anyone that I knew, like knew anything about early on. But were you resistant to it? Because you know something, especially for like older people, not that you are, but I'm 45. For my generation, oh, really? yeah. we, we look at something and we're like, well, it's different. So I'm going to judge it. I don't <laughs> like it. It's different. It's new. So I don't like it. Were you like in the middle about it? Were, did you, were you curious about it? No, I'm pretty progressive with jujitsu. Like, like uh, I'm a super huge proponent of about like um, – uh, questioning the status quo of everything. Like, you know, you, you maybe train hip escapes for the whole, your whole, like I've been training for 14 years. Like maybe I've done hip escapes for 14 years. If somebody were to do a hip escape and they're like, I could see merit in it and it's different than the hip escapes everyone else does. I would change my hip escape. Like it, it like I really believe like, there are better ways to do things that we just don't understand yet. We don't, you know, like jujitsu is perfect and there's like perfect ways to do things or more efficient ways at least. And we're just kind of like uh, grasping at table crumbs to try to figure out, like make our jujitsu better, but we're usually like way behind the curve of, where like, like if a robot were to like teach itself physics and, and then how to move and how to beat somebody that's trying to attack it, like it would move in such weird ways that, a, that a human would probably not intuitively think about like humans are, you know, like humans are interesting, like the way they think about stuff. So like, uh, there was like a Braulio, a Braulio Estima, um, arm bar, like video that he used to do where he would talk about putting the foot on the hip and uh, from there, you, you're in guard, close guard. You bring your opponent onto super basic armbar from close guard, right? You put your foot on the hip. You put your other leg over your opponent's shoulder, shoulder, right? And then you can throw the leg over. But what everyone does from there is because you're taught hip escapes your whole jujitsu career. They put the foot on the hip and they hip escape out. And then they try to armbar. 
but you need your hips close to them. So like the hip escape feels like it should be the right thing to do. But what you do is you put your foot on the hip, you lift your upper body off the bat, uh, off the, off the ground and you swivel, but your hips stay where they are. Like they are close to the armpit and everything so that you can throw the leg over and attack. But like even teaching this to people that are good and willing to learn and are knowledgeable, like they'll still fight you on that. They'll be like, yeah, put here. And then they'll start to hip escape. And it's just like, you know, unless they've been like somebody's beaten it into them to do the right way, or they just happen to see it the first time or whatever, Uh, but they'll like argue about it with you because it's just, it's what they know and it's what they've been told and people don't question things. And, uh, I think it's, uh, I, like I have a, sorry, I'm ranting, but like, no, I have no, like, I a, love it. I love <laughs> it. And drop some knowledge, bro. So it's like a huge thing. I think it's, um, it only applies to like the top 1% or maybe 5% of jujitsu practitioners. Cause you know, the, the majority of jujitsu practitioners, never make it past blue belt. Like, right. Like there's that meme where you get your blue belt and you quit. Like, that's just, it's common. Like hardly anyone gets their purple belt. Not like it's a, it is a huge accomplishment, but it's not like impossible to do. Right. You just got to show up and just keep learning. Right. Um, but, uh, but most people are just like spend a few years at it and are just like, eh, purple belt's still like a few more years away and I don't want to screw with it. And they, it's, you know, jujitsu is not easy. Um, it's a big time commitment. It can be tough on your body. It's, it's hard to keep up with your social life, you, you know, it, while you're doing that. But um, so there's so much to jujitsu in the beginning that it is best. I really believe it is best to not try to reinvent the wheel, to try to just learn all the pre-made stuff, the stuff that everyone put out before you find different paths and try to like figure out what everyone else knows and build your game and, and learn jujitsu that way. Because if you try to like, well, I'm just going to make up what I think an arm bar is from, you know, like you'll spend forever and get not very far. It's there's just so much stuff out there that people have already gone through. And why would you not just take advantage of their knowledge? Right. But because you do that for years and years and years, and even after like, say three, four, five, six years, you still like, maybe if you have this, like sneaking suspicion, like maybe I can make something up or whatever. Like it's still usually more efficient to just keep learning from other, what other people do. Right. But once you get to a certain level of skill, which is maybe around like the six, seven, eight year mark, somewhere around there, like you, you can really become like, that's where people become like title contenders at the earliest, like the six or seven years. Right. Um, like if they just start jujitsu, dedicate their life to it, put a bajillion hours in, in it, like they can reach black belt within six or seven years and they could vie for like a world title if they're like a phenom and right. Um, so, but that's a, that's a, like a verifiable master. So from there, when you get to that higher level, I think then is the best time to question everything like be like, is this efficient? Like, well, I've been taught this and everyone does it this way or whatever. Like that might be a shitty way to do it. There was just nobody that knew a better way. Right. And like, that's when the innovation needs to happen. Like new moves can be made. um, More efficient moves can be made. Like changes to everything can be made, but very few people get to that level for one, because most people quit before purple belt, which is a bit before that level. But then also you're just beat, it's beat into you for so many years of don't question anything, just take what's made, right? So like you don't, you just go with 
the flow. And then you get these people that are super high level and then they still just do the canned stuff that they've been doing for like the last 20 years. And they're just cool with it. Right. Because that's, they think it's literally the best or it's just like, it works. So why do it? But those are the people that like, they have the knowledge they are, they've been in it for so long. Like if they really just start nitpicking everything that they were doing, like they would probably improve so much and create new stuff. And, you know, I think that's like, super important to be creative later on uh, in jujitsu, but it's very hard because you're so conditioned to not be that way. Or, so. or maybe, but, and I'm a white belt. So I ask this uh, with my head low in respect to uh, your opinion, or maybe it's, it could be because it's phasic for you to still see like, Hey, I'm a purple belt. This brown, this brown belt goal is still my choice. So why create? So I'm like following a narrow path because I'm still trying to get that brown belt. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like there's still stuff to do and people are ahead of you. Right. Like uh, I can guarantee you like Hodger Gracie, Marcelo Garcia, like they would all kick my butt in jujitsu. Right. They're better than me. They've been doing it longer. They're, they've been to the top of the worlds. Like they are better straight up and they're super technical. Right. But, uh, if you look at it like that, then you'll never invent anything and no will, um, and, and nobody else will ever invent anything unless they're those like top couple of guys. Right. But even at like, I mean, I was at purple belt for like a kind of a super long time, like five years, but even at purple belt, like I invented a foot, uh, two foot locks and like people don't do that move. Like maybe, you know, like it's so hard to say so many people practice judo and jujitsu throughout, all the years that maybe somebody did do the same exact thing, but just never like cared to name it or thought it was any different than a regular footlock or whatever. And so like, it, it could have been like, I'm just reinventing what somebody else are, has already explored, but just abandoned or whatever. But um, it's something that like, is not, it's not like written down anywhere and nobody that I've ever talked to like knows those things. So and that just comes from like curiosity and questioning stuff. Um, but even at purple belt where like, there's still so there's so much for you to learn, like why question things. Right. But I think that if you're like a very high level and you're willing to look at the little details, like you can do a lot from there, but, but anyone though. But so someone like Eddie Bravo, like he, he's, he's his own entity, right? He's like his own planet, like literally his own planet. Right. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a bit of a nut. Um, I mean, like in, in a jujitsu way, like in a good way, Sure. like it's, it's pretty, a lot of my training partners came up with Eddie Bravo. Um, like my friend Brent Burnison, he used to train with them all the time over at Chum Jocks. Um, and he owns uh, subconscious jujitsu in North Hollywood where I teach at before the world ended. Sure. Um, uh, and we always talk about Eddie's game because it's like, ah, oh, you don't get an Eddie's half guard, right? Like you just don't, his half guard is super good. Like he will twister you. He will, if you don't know what to do, like he, he'll throw you into rubber guard and like mess you up. Right. Like he just does these like weird things that nobody else does. And he's super good at them. Um, and, and this then is still he, pre pre establishing 10th planet. Yeah. Pre established. That was just like, I mean, maybe not the rubber. Uh, no, he was doing like rubber guard stuff from what I heard before then but like his his half guard was always sick like he was always doing like old school sweep and he was trying to like work that wrestler's guillotine the the uh twister 
they call him jujitsu, but like he was doing all that stuff. He was just had a weird, wacky game and like, but he was good at it and he figured it out. Like he's rare though. Like people are not usually creative like him early on. So I, I don't know what happened there. Like how he, he just like figured stuff out that was totally different that worked for him, but that's super unusual. But I think it, it, it could happen more though. If people just thought about it more. Is that something to where you probably have a parallel feeling when you're developing these two foot locks? And I think you have a technique called the French girl. Yeah, that's one of them. Yep. Right. You know, so the moment of discovery for something like the 50, 50 position with the French girl, right. Is it like a Siddhartha burning tree moment or is it a gradual uh, development? Um, I think it's different for, you know, like I've, I've actually like developed a, a few things that weren't like submissions. Like well, I've did, invented two submissions. Um, but uh, for non-submission things, I think a lot of people actually invent a lot of non-submission moves, but they just don't even think of it as a move. It's like, well, I Toriando pass and then I pass. So I'm just using Toriando. But like, if you look at like Leandro Lowe, Toriando passing, like he doesn't Toriano pass the way other people Toriano pass. Like he, he, he doesn't do jujitsu the way other people do jujitsu. He'll get in like full blown Keenan Cornelius worm guard and like somehow just step out of it when Keenan sweeps. I mean, it's like the worst position to be in like, but Leandro will just like kind of magically appear out of it. It's so bizarre. So he's doing different stuff without even thinking about it. That's just the way his body works and he's super athletic and moves differently than other people. And, takes it he probably just doesn't even know it just like started having success and started leaning more into some of those movements kind of subconsciously and and then just developed this weird game that to him probably seems like not so technical like uh, you just wait for the timing and then you just move this certain way and do it but other people try to do it and it's not it's not the same so i think there's a lot of invention that happens like that that people just don't even realize is invention um but when you're somebody that like analyzes the game, the way I try to emulate um, the people that were before me that still analyze the game, but we're doing it long before I did like Sean Williams, where they're just like a huge student of the game. They love it. They really like have, they write out like every technique they know have like flow charts and like, like, well, what if you do this and somebody counters with this thing? Like they know all of the different paths for everything. It's pretty insane. Um, so like, I try to think about jujitsu like that as well. Uh, but it can just happen in different ways. Like the other footlock, um, that I was doing, like I learned because I was teaching my normal footlock. I was always like a, I always liked footlock. So I was teaching one, you were teaching footlock one, right? I was, I was teaching normal one, just the normal straight ankle, like the vanilla you would learn anywhere. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, at my gym that I owned and my students that were like blue belt, maybe purple belt. Not, they might've been both blue belt, but they were both doing it. And they were getting like, people were like, Oh, I'm feeling it. Like not in my ankle. Like it feels weird. And I'm like, that's seems odd, but it was happening consistently. Like I kept hearing like the people that, that those students were doing it on, on the other people. And they were having, they're like, 
you know, ah, this, this like hurt my knee or this twisted my leg weird or whatever. And I'm like, but over and over again, like anytime I taught that footlock, like they were, they were doing it wrong, wrong the way that I was teaching it to them, but they like, actually, they really invented it. I just was like, sat back and thought and like, why is this happening? And then I just started deconstructing, like, show me what you're doing. Like, what is this feeling that, you know, this person's talking about when you do this to them, like, and what are you thinking about? And then like, just thinking about it over and over and having a close group of um, like my friend, Eddie, that I was coaching, he was at my gym as well and had a couple other close friends that were like purple brown belt like they were pretty good and and technical and i could bounce stuff off of them like well what if i did this what would your reaction be and we'd sit there and just kind of like talk through things different scenarios until finally i'd be like i i think this is different this is there's something here and i'm gonna explore it and then you can figure out a move like that that's one of the ways that i figured things out so um but i think it, it can just come however you know like uh it's different for different situations. Yeah. But but in a case like that, where you're at this development point, does something like being an analyst help you overthink or does it just help you in jujitsu? Because I've, I've heard from other people, but, but these are Muay Thai announcers and I won't put them on blast, but they were like, you know what, man, uh, doing announcing for me got me stuck. And then a third person I asked, he's like, actually, it helped me. It, it yeah. accelerated because I get First to watch time. people. But it's interesting for me to hear people that go the inverse and go, no, it got me stuck. Hmm. But how, did, how did announcing for you, was it fully beneficial? Was it neutral? It, it was. It was fully beneficial. I originally started commentating just on my own YouTube channel. I did it for years, like maybe four years or something like that. Um, just on my own because I knew like for the first three or so years when I was competing, I competed a lot in, especially in the beginning uh, and then training constantly. I was training five to six days a week um, every week, you know, unless I got injured or whatever. Uh, and sometimes two times a day, just depending on, on what was going on. And so I did that for maybe about three years. And I remember watching like it was one finals of the worlds and both guys came out and they started like moving. And I realized like, I have no idea what's going on in this. Like after three years of, of solid dedication to training. Um, and that like was disturbing to me. Like, why, why do I not know? Like I should know at least like a base level of what is happening. Like, like I was looking at, it, I'm like, I don't know who's winning. I don't know who's losing. I don't know what's available. I don't even know what that guard is, is, is passed over. Like it was just like mind boggling to me. And I don't even remember what match it was, but it was like probably something that was just like a little bit unusual or whatever. It wasn't anything crazy, I'm sure. Um, but then around like the fourth-ish year uh, training and being under someone like Sean, who really breaks down so many things for you and makes you very technical, then I started to really understand like pretty much most of jujitsu. Like you can, at least on a base level, like I could be like, I could watch even a high level match. And for the most part, like no, like 90% of what was going on. And that was, I felt like somebody needs to explain that to the newer people. Like, I wish I had somebody to explain to me, like in those first few years when I maybe wasn't getting the best instruction or whatever. um, And you're just new. uh, Like 
what was going on in these matches. And I think you just learn so much quicker. So then I, when I was injured, I was like, oh, I'm just going to, uh, I'm sitting at home anyway and going stir crazy. I'm just going to make my YouTube channel and just start, you know, saying what I'm seeing in these matches and, uh, you know, put it out there and see if I can help people or whatever and turned into like a thing. And, and then flow grappling ended up hiring me and, you know, it's uh, it was interesting, but it, it's it's helped me the whole time. Like I learned a lot from commentating. I still learn when I see, you know, different stuff out there. Like you'll see, like, you know, you'll see things like that uh, because like people thought the um, insights in Kaku the saddle was like a DQable position forever in gi jujitsu, but it, it wasn't. But Gordon Ryan had to like put out that video of being like, look, it's a knee bar or it's a toe hold and they go to turn and then you're in this position, right? Like they, they rotate properly to stop the toe hold away and your legs are just there from like that knee bar toe hold position, right? That's inside Senkaku. And he like made that video and put it out. And like, then they, I think the refs like went back and looked through the, through the rules. Like the rules actually did not that was not a decubable thing. They just did it because that was just the given thing or whatever. And hats off to IBJJF rules, um, uh, uh, refs for being like, yeah, you know what? This is right. Like this is not a decubable thing. And they, you know, I think you still get the, it looks not so great if you're not into leg locks or whatever still. And you probably get some like random DQs for that, uh, erroneously. But for the most part, they like, you can do that now. And it's like a thing, but then you'll see like kind of, Dorte, like he sweeps from there and that's kind of like a, the whole position is new for gi jiu-jitsu so like when i'm commentating i see that i'm like whoa like what is that right it's cool to see it done in a tournament and if i'm commentating that tournament i'll be one of the first people to uh, see that as you know if you're just like somebody is sitting at home and you don't have to watch every match because you're not commentating you might have missed that match and then you miss this whole like innovative thing that's happening in in the sport so um, like even on that, just to stay on that cutting edge, like commentating helps for that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's helped me across the board. But so, as far as for the duration of time, is it workable to still train and be an analyst? Cause you know how, like e e this is common in boxing when people start coaching, whether if they're a mitt guy or they're a pad guy, um, they lose touch about training themselves but but with doing analyst work is that something that you can still work in training for yourself because it, 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 it's a potentially um time-consuming career right being an analyst it can be hmm, it's interesting the i think i never thought about it that way because jujitsu is so hard on the body mm -hmm. and some people are like people are just different, right? Like when I was at Cabrinha's, Cabrinha like wanted you to train like six to nine hours a day. Like Ooh. that was, yeah, was, if you're on the competition team, if you're casual, like whatever, like show up to class a couple times a week, it, you know, you go at your own pace. But if you want to like win worlds, like he wanted this like output, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean like six to nine hours of like just going, you know, like hard training, sparring, you know, every day. But it meant like, you know, you go to like the noon class, you come back for the night class, you're drilling in between both. So you're doing drilling before the first class and the second class, you do conditioning on the side, like that type of thing. Right. Um, and, and maybe you like do some theory crafting for your game or whatever, like somewhere in there. 
Um, so like, that's what he meant. It, it, it's just basically like a work ethic. It's like a, it's just a roadmap for like, you got to put in the time if you want to be world champion, which is true. you like, you really have to put in the time. You've got to make sure all your, uh, all your bases are covered. And um, some people would be able to train twice a day on like to his, what he wanted. Right. Um, and they would, do that but like if they would add weights into their training like it would wreck their body some people would be fine with weights like keenan cornelius said he actually like lifts weights more days than he does jujitsu these lately like he'll like lift weights like five six days a week instead of like but he'll only train hard like once a day four to five times a week like lately for whatever reason maybe because he opened his gym or whatever um and he said like it doesn't affect his body at all to lift weights like that but some people will just get wrecked from that. And some people like, um, like one of the best guys at Cabrini is he was like very adamant. He's like, I can only train hard once a day. If I go that second time, like it breaks his body down. So everyone's super different for me. I was never like a great athlete. So uh, if I trained twice a day, super hard, like I, by the end of the week, I'd probably get the flu or something. It was horrible. So um, I would really only train, twice a day a few times a week or you know i'd be like drilling one hard training and then drilling or something like that um but because your body can only take so much of the real hard training like then that right there frees you up for analytical work which should help your jujitsu so for me it only adds like unless you're like some monster that can train like four hours hard every day then, you know, maybe then it'll detract because you should be training if your body will keep up with it. Right. But I, that, that was never me. So, um, yeah, the, the analytical stuff just helped, I think. And it's okay. something you can do when you're not like killing yourself, you know? Yeah. But, but does it, how do I ask this? But, but does it get to a point where you learn mastery from mastery by watching? Because jujitsu, I feel like, is evolving so fast. You watch something. I mean, you got to work on one thing. Like you were talking about the inside Senkaku. Yeah. You got to work on that. Yeah, yeah. You have to work on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just got to look at it as like a fun thing, too. Okay. Right? Like, if you just look at it, like, I got to learn everything. And you're, just, like, you didn't, you're not going to learn it. Like, it's, there's a ton, ton of stuff I don't know. I try to learn everything. And I still don't know a ton of stuff. Right? Um. So you just got to be like, you know, you're at the gym, you train, like you have focus training. Like if you're, it's before a tournament, like I'm just playing my A game, right? That's it. And then maybe my B game, just like if, if shit hits a fan in the tournament, I need to have a backup, right? But you're mainly playing your A game. But if it's not a tournament time, then it's like, well, I play my A game like 20% of the time, my B game, another 20%. And then the rest of the time I've got like, uh, I'm working on inside Senkaku just to figure it out. And then maybe I'm working on like um, passing or whatever, like passing, knee cut passing. And so when you have like pet projects like that, then you really kind of hone in on those and just learn specifics about those over time. Uh, and, and that will kind of broaden those areas and they will sometimes lead into other areas and it, it can kind of help you all over, but you know, like you do that for three months and then you move on to the next thing 
And eventually, like over years, you learned a lot about very specific uh, and technical jujitsu with, with just like casually kind of like, I'm just working this and it's like, and talk to your training partners and maybe after class, like ask them, Hey, when I did this thing, you just crushed me. Like what, what did you do or whatever? And just be mindful and thinking about it and inquisitive. Cause it's really like, for me, it's like, um, like a Sherlock Holmes, like detective type of thing. It's like, a, how am I going to make this better? Like, and what did I do wrong here to, you know, get obliterated? Like that's, it's where all the fun is right for me. So, so in, in, in your observation, what, what is the better feet to floor combination for jujitsu? Is it wrestling or is it judo? Um, I mean, is that still contingent on who's your opponent and what, what your frame is, what you like to do? For me, it's definitely wrestling, like a hundred percent. Okay. But, um, you know, like just because for one, a lot of judo goes away if there's no gi because the judo is very grippy you can use overhooks for sure and underhooks, um, and you modify it. But a lot of that stuff is already in wrestling, right? Like I, I just try not to think about it as like, like, I don't think about it as like, uh, I think about it as takedowns, right? Like takedowns are like wrestling judo, you know, like anything that gets your, like if I can pull guard and, and sweep and come up real quick, that's a takedown, right? Just like, um, passing guard. Like, like if you watch like the, the Meow brothers, the way they used to pass guard before they got super good at their smash passing from um, Murillo. Um, what they would do is they felt so uncomfortable as they'd start passing and they would jump, they would dive like violently. If anything went wrong back into crab ride from like North South, it was like, because they would like feel more comfortable going back into the guard and like maybe having an attempt at a back take from there. Right. But that's still, that was their style of passing. It's still a pass. Right. So it's like, I think of like wrestling is like judo wrestling, like uh, it's, it's all takedowns, but jujitsu is kind of like that too, right? It's not just like, it's, it's also judo and it's, it's just grappling. I, th- I think it's a good way to, once you start pigeon, pigeonholing things, like, I don't know, it gets rough. Like, I think you should just try to take the best things from everything, like the tenacity from wrestling and the great like doubles and singles and all the, the cool things that, that you can do from there and like the Harai Goshis and all of that stuff from judo, um, which happen a lot in wrestling too, from like, you know, anytime you have foot sweeps or whatever, or body lock or an overhook, they'll do like a lot of those similar moves. But if you just think about like, I'm just going to learn takedowns and I go to like a strict judo school, like it might not translate very well for jujitsu because having your hips way behind you and leaned over forward the way every jujitsu guy that's bad with takedowns uh, or even if they're good with takedowns, they just don't want to get they're like resting or whatever. Like they'll just kind of lean forward and have their hips back. Like that's stalling in, in judo. You can't do it. And that's like the first thing everyone does. So you could train judo for years and go to a jujitsu school and somebody finally stands up with you. And then they just like do something that you're not used to seeing. And it's like, why did I spend all this time learning this art that doesn't really apply, right? Like, because the rules are different. So I think if you just learned it as takedowns, it would be easier. But I think strict wrestling is translates better to jujitsu than strict judo does. But it's yep. all should be incorporated. <laughs> it seems like everyone who I ask at high level, um, 
And I guess we can credit the UFC for exposing that everyone in a higher level seems it's been a hundred percent. Everyone says wrestling where maybe in the earlier days, even pre UFC, you know, maybe you could put, well, it's ghee and ghee. So it may complement each other so much better, but, but, but at least I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable it, after surveying 10, 12 people like your, at your caliber who say that wrestling's uh, um, at the top point. Can you do like five to 10 more minutes? Yeah. yeah oh, cool, man. I appreciate it, man. No, yeah, whatever works. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I've, I've always wanted to ask you this no. now with, with announcing, cause I come from a radio background. Is it oh, possible? You? What's that? You have, a, you have a good voice. Is were you talking on? On the air from your radio oh, I, background? I, I used to be on like several networks, like uh, oh, really? Slam, BBC, so oh, many no different wonder. stations. So I'm like, man, but, yeah, he's got that good radio voice. Oh, that's, that's, that makes kind sense. Of you to okay. say. Honestly, like uh, maybe we could train if you, if you still t- teach privates. Oh, I've yeah. had a rough five years, which I'd love to share off mic with you. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, sure. I mean, it, it sounds like you and I have been through some shit the last half decade, man. <laughs> it's been rough, yeah. You know, so, rough, so I can uh, sympathize and empathize with that. But I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but, you know, Goldie Goldberg and uh, Joe mm. Rogan, one was like the color hype man. Yeah. Joe Rogan was the technical guy. Yep, yep. Is that possible for jujitsu? Because it seems like it, everything's steering to where you need two different but technical speeches going on. But it can't be like one kind of like flavor flav to Chuck D, you know? Yeah. Yes, I, I see what you're saying, like play-by-play and commentary. Um, it's, it, that, that's interesting. Uh, so like for me – I feel like weirdly I'm like one of the few commentators, like not to downplay any other commentators, like there's some really, there's some pretty good commentators for jujitsu now, uh, which did not used to be the case. Like just like, you know, five, 10 years ago, like it was pretty, pretty bad. Um, But just because people didn't know broadcast or commentating, like they didn't study it or whatever. And I think, some of the better ones now don't really study it. They just happen to be good at it. Um, but that's a big step up. So like in the past, I feel like they needed people to commentate to give, because one of the things that you want to give when you commentate is context, right? Especially in a technical sport that is boring as hell. Um, even if you're good at it and know what's going on, it can be boring when guys are just stalling and hugging and it's in the gi and they can't move or they're stuck in 50, 50 or Exhaustion. whatever. Right? Yeah, exhaustion, which happens, or they're just very evenly matched. Sure. And then not a lot happens. Like, that happens at the highest level of just about any sport. Um, and it looks terrible. It's just not fun, right? Um, or b- bad styles. Like, you look at uh, Yoel Romero and Adesanya, and they sat there and, like, threw feints, but never really closed the distance to punch that for what, five rounds or whatever it was. And it was the worst fight ever. They're two great fighters that wreck other people, but it's a bad matchup. Right. So stuff like that happens and the commentators really need to give context um, so that it makes sense. So that it's not boring. Part of, part of the reason that the sport, in my opinion, is so small still, it's growing all the time, but it's, I mean, it's a small sport. It is like nobody really makes money on it unless you own a gym or you're at like the top 0.001% competitor 
and you look out like you, you know, you're Gordon Ryan now or, or Danaher, he's not a competitor, but he got famous and you can sell DVDs now or whatever. Thanks to Bernardo. Yeah, it's great. Right. So things like that have changed. So it's a little bit easier to make money, but like you look at like a real sport or like a real job, like, you know, like, um, I used to work in the inter- entertainment industry doing like production and stuff like that. Uh, and you look at that and like, if I work like a freelance job and it's like, Oh, here's a few thousand dollars, right. They just like throw it to you. And it's like, what, and it's like, oh, what, excuse me. Like I'm so not used to being paid like real money from jujitsu that like, Oh, and it was the easy and you're not going to like try to take it back from me or like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's crazy. Right. So it's a small sport is my point. And part of that is, is because it is boring as hell. If you don't know anything about jujitsu, it is so hard to watch. And so it's, extra important that we have people commentating about it that give context. Um, But there's also other things that commentators need to do. Like they need to make it exciting, right? Like you have to be able to, um, uh, you can't just like talk in like a monotone voice all the time or a super excited voice all the time. Like you have to be able to like build when there's something that's building and you have to use that energy to bring people along in the journey. And, you know, there's like, it's kind of like a big responsibility, but I think that that's um, really important for bringing the sport up. It's like maybe number one and hardly anyone like as far as like tournaments or companies in jujitsu, like they don't really even care about commentating that much. And I think it's like maybe like one of the most important things It's super overlooked, undervalued. Most people, when they hear commentating, they just judge it by like, if the guy doesn't sound familiar, like they've never heard that person talk before, it's garbage just because they're not used to it. It's, sure. you know, like people were felt that way about Joe Rogan, like in the beginning, it's like, who's this guy commentating or whatever. Like, and then they're like, Oh, he's the guy from, you know, News radio. The, it's totally. And then like, okay, well it seems to know, you know, like it's just familiarity. Like people don't, it, the first time they hear somebody, they just like brush it off. It's not familiar. They don't, they put up that wall they haven't made up their mind about it so um it, it's interesting to see that but in the old days like commentary was just do you know jujitsu could you just get on the mic and talk about it like it's not going to be good commentary they're just going to be like oh this guy should butterfly sweep but that like the guy's talking only knows about butterfly sweeps and he doesn't know how to talk so he's just talking in a monotone voice maybe doesn't talk for like long periods of time when there's exciting stuff happening so like people watching at home just think like nothing's happening and it's boring. So rough. Um, so you can do a play-by-play. You can have like a real broadcaster. That's a play-by-play guy um, and have just a color commentator guy, but it always helps with the color commentator guy that, that he's like the expert. Um, if he can do simple things for that are like commentary based that most people don't know to do, like bring a little more energy to it or get excited about something to like draw the audience in or, you know, like little things like that. And the play by play commentator, his used to be like, his job was to like call every single thing that was happening. So if you're listening on the radio, which people did back in the day, right? Like then you would know what's going on just without seeing it. But now that's changed, right? So nobody listens to jujitsu on the radio and that would be pretty rough, even if you're a good old school play-by-play commentator. But um, like, uh, honestly, for me, 
a lot of what I watched lately for commentary is esports because they have like a different way of doing it. That's a little more new school. I, I also listen to the old school people in like traditional sports too, like formula one or um, MotoGP uh, racing for some reason, but also like basketball, like old Lakers broadcasts, like Chick Hearn, stuff like that. Like, um, you know, there's a lot of like traditional good commentators that you can take stuff from as well. But, uh, but esports is like that cutting edge. It's actually kind of what got me into, um, jujitsu commentary with a focus and a lot of them back before esports were more popular, they were solo commentating and they do play by play and, um, and color commentating. Like they, they were the expert and they had to convey, they had to be the broadcaster to be professional and bring the excitement and give you context, like all at once. And you have to be able to talk fast. Otherwise you miss things. And, um, and then you got to be able to like, chill it out if nothing's going on or whatever. Um, and I think if you can do that, then if you have somebody that's not, they're just like a analyst or they're not good at talking, right. But you like know the technical side, you know, the broadcast side, you can kind of work with anyone, but the better the other guy is, the better the commentary team is going to be typically. So you know, that's my take on it, but the better both guys are, it always makes it better. Right. Like opinion. when, when it's uh Cormier Rogan, and then you have John Anik, I've, I've been noticing a trend. Anik pulls back and lets the two technical guys or the guys who have fought do their thing. But I, but I, I would love to hear an Anik like, Oh my goodness, Joe, look at what's happening to his left leg. You know, you know, they just, uh, sometimes when it's too technical, at least for MMA, but for jujitsu, I, I think it's totally palatable to have two technical guys. Okay. Uh, for, 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 for my sure. perspective, at least. Right. No, you know? it's, yeah, no, especially if they're not like, like for me, the, I'm so into the entertainment aspect of it because that's the only way you're going to get new people that don't like everyone that watches jujitsu now does jujitsu. And that's a problem, right? Like if everyone that watches you, if, if the only people that watch baseball pl- tried to like play professional baseball, like there would not be a big audience. That's a very small amount of people and you would be killing the sales would be terrible. You would not have a lot of stadiums. It would not be like where it is before before 2020, but you know, like 2019 or whatever. Um, so like that is a big problem. And if you don't like bring that energy, if you don't get people excited about things that know nothing about it, like the sport is going to be, it's always going to like, it'll get bigger, but it'll always limp along. Right. Like the only way it's going to get bigger from there is like grassroots, like get people into gyms, get people training so they can, care about this stuff in the first place and then they'll watch it, but it'll go slow. And so many people just quit after a while. Cause it's a tough sport. It's not for everyone, you know, like it's rough, right? If, if we're ever going to make it a spectator sport, you have to be able to like break it down for somebody that's never trained a day in their life and make it interesting for them, which is tough because jujitsu is super technical and can be boring to watch. So it's, I, I really feel like the commentary has to be as good as possible, hopefully to do those things. Um, and typically just like a 
plain color commentator. Like luckily now, like some of the color commentators that are not like trained or whatever, they just happen to be good at like, they just get excited about it and you can hear it in their voice and they start talking and it's like, Oh, okay. And you're interested, right? Like, and you can listen to two color commentators that are just like getting really stoked about this awesome stuff that's happening. Um, And I think that's probably where you're like, Oh yeah. And look at it's all technical and, you know, and like you're engaged, everything's good. But um, that's only started happening in the last like five years or so. Like, and it's still like not always the most consistent. Like it, it just depends on who's talking and, or whatever. Like um, it, it's tough to get that consistently. So um, I just think John, there's a lot of people that are just insecure and they're trying to make sure like, Hey, listening audience, listening jujitsu audience, I'm technical. I know. So they're trying to be out technical each other. And it, there's this, this, this wavelength of insecurity instead of like, Hey man, you got to be a fan too. Yes. That, that is, that's funny. You mentioned that I, I've, uh, I totally felt that way when I first started commenting, like I had to be like, I'm only a purple belt, uh, or blue, maybe I was a blue belt when I started on YouTube or whatever. Like I have to be like, I have to show people that I'm technical or whatever. And that is the default for anyone that's new to commentary for jujitsu. Cause you don't want to feel like you don't know enough to, you know, like you don't want to be like exposed as like some, you know, just, uh, Hack some yeah hack shit. right like exactly what's this guy doing talking on here or whatever first of all people will feel that way about you no matter how much you know and how good you are just because you're new and they don't know you so like that's, that's whatever you can't worry about that stuff but um like that is one of the worst things you can do like right because you don't want to be like oh well, you could do this and there's this little thing here or whatever because like, it's not it, it doesn't make any sense to what's going on like you want to give context. You want to be like, if he goes this way, this can happen, or this might happen. But if he goes this way, the other guy's probably looking for this. Like, it's not about how much, you know, it's about like what might happen here. So people like know what to expect. Right. Um, and it's you not do about have to, you. It's about the audience. Exactly. And, and about what's, what's going on in front of you. So that way it's not like a, Whoa, well, where did that come from? And if something crazy happens, then as a commentator, you got to like, let the audience know, like, that was crazy. Like that should not have happened. I did not see that coming. Like that's super, that doesn't make you less technical. That makes it like, especially if you've been training a long time and you've been commentating and you've seen a lot of jujitsu, something really catches you off guard. That's probably pretty unusual. And most people watching are not going to be as knowledgeable as you. So it's important to tell them like, that was crazy. <laughs> like we need to take a second and think about that. Cause like that guy should not have been able to flip the other dude on his head from this, you know, from like uh, crab ride or whatever. Right. Like how did that happen? And then people get excited about that. Cause it's like, Whoa, that's a rare thing that I just got to see. But if you try to like cover it up, like I knew like this, or uh, I thought he was going to do this thing. Like it, it kills all that excitement where it was a really pretty spectacular thing. And you're privileged to see something like that happen in a tournament at a high level. But um, yeah, you don't want to, those are the important things in, in commentary and jujitsu. And you don't want to like ruin those, right. You want to make them special, like show them for what they are, I think. So. Yeah. And, 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 um you probably experienced this, but when you work with someone who's not insecure and they give you a toss where it's like, go ahead, John, get yours. Let me hear what you have to say. And then they're comfortable in their own skin where, the, where they can react 
off what you said, that's the best feeling. And you make the best. Yeah. It's, it's not even Batman and Robin. It's like Superman and Superman, you know, and it feels good to work with each other that way. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and even if like the guy, like, so, you know, that from broadcast, it's like clearly, right. Like this, it's a great feeling. It's like, and you know, like, so like when I commentate with Raph, right. Like, you know, whether you agree with what he's saying or like him as a person or whatever, like separate, like Raph is a very good broadcaster and he's good, you know, he's good at talking. He's good at talking sure. and being professional and doing all those things. He can add excitement. He can engage the audience. Like he's, he's very good with those things. Um, and, uh, and so like, and especially now that he's become pretty technical, he's like a very technical grappler knows a lot about jujitsu. He's been training a long time. Uh, he's a purple belt, right? Under Valley Mac? Yeah. I mean, like he was one of my first students when I was teaching there or whatever. Sure. And he'd been training a little while. Um, so now he's been training like, God, probably like, so that'd be coming up on a decade. He's been training a long time. Um, Under you and Marcelo, he, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, Mar- I was actually, I think I was teaching there more than Marcelo because he's only there like a couple, a couple of days a week. And I was sometimes there like three days a week or whatever. Um so just cause he's got like a full-time job or whatever. And the classes that Raph would come to would be more often mine. Uh, and then when I opened my gym, he was always there and we just have always trained together a lot. Um, but he's been training so long that he's like very technical now too, and really knows the game. Um, so now when we commentate, it's like, not, not only do I get this great broadcaster that's good at, like, even before, if he couldn't add context, he would know to throw to me to like add the context or, do whatever needed to be done. He knew what he didn't know. Right. He's like, you're good at this thing. Go do it. Right. Um, but now we can literally like, I can play color commentator and then he can be play by play and then he can throw it to me and switch. So I'm, I'm play by play and he'll do color. And then we'll do a hybrid of both. And then just like, you know, like you can just do whatever. And it's, it is, it's the best. It's like a, it, that's when it's like the machine is working properly. Right. And that doesn't right. happen very often in jujitsu commentary. Right. But for professional broadcasters, that's like, that's the standard. Like you aspire to that and you try to always get that going, but it's broadcasting is like a field that's been around forever. And, you know, radio is always going to be more popular probably than jujitsu ever will be. So, um, you know, or anything that's going to go out over the air. Uh, So that's just like, people know how good it can be. And like, that's where it should be on a professional level. Right. But in jujitsu, it's like, you can have a great broadcaster, but like most broadcasters are going to know absolutely nothing about jujitsu. So it's tough to just fit a great broadcaster out of the blue, like with zero training into jujitsu thing. So that's where it becomes weird. Right. Right. And and for the viewers and the listening audience, like in, in, in my area there's generators and there's reactors and the worst thing is when you have two reactors or two generators and they're just trying to take the airwaves instead of trying to lob and do an assist pass they're not trying to alley-oop each other like go ahead man get yours here's off the glass boom get it you know and from what john well a lot of the reason why not to speak about you in third person but Mm. a lot of the reason why i wanted to interview john because you know, he's from that Maybach Ferrari style of like broadcasting. Cause I, I can hear when someone is like spot on and the fact that you and I can even rap about 
working with people on behind the mic shows like uh, the most overused word in jujitsu, a lineage of like broadcasting and podcasting. So yeah, I feel like I could wrap with you a little bit longer because there's so much more <laughs> layers behind what everyone goes through. I, and, and as I wrap, I didn't even bring up like, you know, school closing COVID cause I want to keep it like right now, uh, like, you know, on this yeah. uh, metabolism sure, sure. Of, of good talk. We can, yeah. we, we can have yeah, whiskey know, talk so much going on in the world. It's crazy. Behind the scene. <laughs> yeah. Right on. But, um, so are you open to training people? Um, um, giving privates or yeah, I'm, I'm currently giving privates. If you're doing privates, um, how can they get a hold of you? They can uh, message me either through my email, which is john at bjjbreakdown.com, or you can go uh, add me on Instagram, which is just at bjjbreakdown. Um, and yeah, those are the two best ways. I'm also going to be revamping my YouTube channel very soon nice. in the next couple of weeks, adding a lot of stuff that people that are into jujitsu or also not into jujitsu will equally like, hopefully. Um, and that will be interesting. And that's just youtube.com slash BJJ breakdown as well. Um, yeah. And so that would be awesome if you followed me there and hopefully get some entertainment or some value out of that. No, definitely. I would encourage everyone to, to follow John because it's just, you can either visually or even just hear the knowledge behind it. And, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for like really dope, like podcasters and broadcasters and podcasting and broadcasting are two different things. There's, there's an so, element yeah. of really having a ebb and flow that's for the audience. And that's the broadcaster, you know, so, and, and you got it, man. So oh, thank I'll, you. <laughs> for sure, Brian, man, I'm, I'm going to hit you up, up in a couple of days because this is due tomorrow morning. So I'm going to cut and edit this yeah. okay. uh, tonight. Yeah. And um, Damn, hopefully we'll nice. get to train within the next week or two. Yeah, whenever, whenever you want, please hit me up. That would be awesome. I'd love to pick your brain about broadcast and your last five years and everything, too. It just sounds oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, dude. That, that's like a burger and a beer <laughs> conversation, bro. It's been heavy. Let's do dude. it. Let's heavy, do it. Heavy last five years, bro. I'm, so, I'm, which, I'm which I can detect in yeah. your voice <laughs> that you've been through some shit. Make it happen. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been rough for most people lately, but I, I feel like you and I maybe have had a little extra on top of we've that. We've had too. the soup and salad. Yeah. yeah we've, Pandemic, yeah. what? Come on, yeah. man. Come on, This man. was like, it's like, oh, this is happening on top of everything? All right, that makes sense. It's not as, not as harsh, maybe. I don't really. know if you've seen uh, Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan got his legs chopped off and he's on top of the shrimp boat during his storm and he's like, God, is this all you got? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a bit of that, right? Like, yeah, 2020 came around and it's like, all right, like <laughs> we're grizzled already. It's, it's like, okay. Right. Yeah, I know, more salt, I know huh? this. More salt yeah. on the wound. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Put some lemon up in that bitch. You know, so. <laughs> totally. Oh, God. Terrible. Right on, John. Well, thank you so much. And I'll text you or call you uh, sometime next week if that's cool. Please. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I had so much fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. I appreciate the interview, brother. Take care. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, yep. take it easy. Thanks for tuning in to the show. And please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We're also available on your favorite directories aside from iTunes, such as Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com. 
That's B-L-E-A-V-E.com. And Believe Podcasts on social media. Now, if you want to get at me personally, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Plug12. That's P-L-U-G-O-N-E-T-W-O. Hit me up and I'll read your questions or maybe even have you on the show. Believe in the fight game. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.